for us before we get into uh, session seven tonight. And again, thank you for being here. Uh, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you now. Thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity uh, to come tonight to, to focus in on session seven of Experiencing God. And uh, God, I'm thankful for how you're speaking to me um, and in the lives of our people in our church through this, um, through this series. God, uh, you, are, you are showing us things, showing me things, God, that uh, I had not seen. And, and, and God, I'm just so excited about what you're going to do through uh, the lives of your people here and through the lives of, of our church. And so God, help us to, to, say, to stay God-focused, God-centered, uh, on you, forming that love relationship with you, Lord, and and I pray that we act in obedience to what we read in your word and, and what and how you're speaking to us. Um, God, just uh, again, thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Session 7 there on page 132 of your book. If you have a book tonight, we'll start there. And um, again, what a great week, um, and like I said, I, it's one of my favorite weeks. They've all been really good, but this one, um, just so much uh, really good stuff God using uh, in His Word to speak to me, and, and I know uh, you as well. But I want to start out with our memory verse for the week, and uh, throughout the, the days this week, you were asked to reflect back on the memory verses there, and so it comes from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, and I'll just read it out, and you can read along with me, but it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So that's a key verse throughout the whole week, and I kept flipping back to that and flipping back to that and and looking at that and just kind of meditating on that throughout the week. But that was a, that was a key part of this week. It's, it, it centers on faith um, and a crisis of belief. Uh, this brings us to, and if you have the, your book there, you can turn to the back cover. Uh, and, of course, you see that uh, on the back cover you have uh, the, uh, the seven principles that we've been going through. God is always at work around you. Uh, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal, looking where God is working, and then God wants us to have that love relationship with Him that's personal. And then, God, number three, God invites us to become involved with Him in His work, just to look at where He's working. And I've become, tried to become more aware in my uh, daily life, in my school life, in my work life, where I work and, and just kind of looking around, okay, where, where, God, where are you working in here? Are you working with a student? Are you working with uh, uh, a faculty member? Are you, are you using me in some way here? What are you doing? Um, how, are you, how are you working? I had a, I had a, um, a student this week, and, and he, uh, uh, his great-grandmother uh, had a stroke, and he wasn't there for two days. And his cousin, I have his cousin in, in my class, and... and um, she said, hey, uh, TJ's grandmother, great-grandmother had a stroke. And I said, what? I thought, and so it's like God said, hey, pray for TJ's great-grandmother. And um, so I said, what's her name? And she told me her name. And so I uh, prayed for her. And then uh, a day later, TJ came, comes back in my class. And I said, hey, man, I just want to let you know I prayed for your great-grandmother. Um, and his eyes lit up. And he said, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, you don't know what God's doing. you got to look for those opportunities. And I find it so hard, and a lot of times... Uh, yesterday, 
um, I, I, um, Katie and I were talking, and I squandered an opportunity um, where I should have talked to some guys, and I didn't. Uh, we were uh, at Walmart in Muscle Shoals, and we were loading up a TV and uh, trying to get it in our vehicle, and had two guys there from Walmart that were, uh, were helping me, uh, and I needed their help. And so uh, we finally got it in there, and, and they got me loaded. And, and uh, of course, I thanked them, and um, you know, I told them I appreciated their help, and, and I drove off, and um, both Katie and I talked about it, and we're like, we should have talked to those guys, should have become more intentional. Uh, with those guys. So it's hard. It's hard for, to, to, to really, um, you know, be intentional, but that's what we're called to do. Uh, we're not to sit on the sidelines. We're to be more intentional in our conversations with people and not be passive. And I think that's where I have an issue sometimes where you, you're, you're passive and you don't take that opportunity to look at where God's working. So I pray that in my own life, and, and I hope that you're praying for that in your life. Look for those opportunities because they're all around us. They're all around us. And so we dealt with that um, that was the, the, the uh, number three. God speaks, number four, by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, through the church to reveal himself, his purposes and his ways. And then number five, where we, where we dealt with this week is that God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you and me to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. And that points back to our memory verse uh, that I just read. Because faith is involved in this crisis of belief. God, and we're going to talk about that uh, in, this, in this unit. But without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. Now, uh, if you'll look on page 134, we began our week in day one there. The title of it was A Turning Point. A Turning Point. And... Uh, and I'll briefly just go through these, and if you can help me out, and I can, of course, mention some things that I've written down through the week and how God spoke to, to me, but feel free to, to share if God leads you to. Um, but it says this, this unit focuses on a major turning point in following God's will. When God invites you to join Him in His work, He has a God-sized assignment for you. You will quickly realize that you cannot do what He is asking on your own. And I underline this in my in, in my workbook, as I read that Monday morning, it says, if God doesn't help you, you will fail. If God doesn't help you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. If God's not in it, you're going to fail. You can try to do it on your own, but if God is not in it, it's going to be a failure. And that's so important. And it says, this is a crisis of belief when you must decide whether to believe God for what He wants to do through you and at this point, many people decide not to follow what they sense God is leading them to do. Then they wonder why they do not experience God's presence and activity the way other Christians do. Let's review in order to see the relationship between the crisis of belief and what you've already studied. Now, question one there says, when you consider assignments God gave to people in the Bible, God speaking, God leading to people in the Bible, which stories come to mind? List a couple and what made the task impossible anybody anybody want to mention that or i can jump in any anything that you you know any story come to mind that you were reading through the week where it was one of those impossible tasks that only god could do noah thank you brother terry the ark right and i wrote that down in my notes as well that's an impossible task 
That's a God-sized task. But God told Noah to do it, and what did he do? Did he go through a crisis of belief there? Yeah, he did. But he was, he was with faith, he built it. Not really he did it. I mean, God used him in that. Uh, he used his, his ability, but God was glorified in it. Um, I put Moses leading the people out of Egypt. When you get to the, to the Red Sea, that is a God-sized task, right? To get millions of people across that body of water. Only God can do that. Um, anyone else? Anyone else mention a God-sized task in Scripture that you... David, yeah, God-sized task there. The Goliath. Uh, that what, Brother Michael? The lion's den, right? Daniel, my Bible reading this week. I'm kind of... Um, Katie and I do our, our Bible reading, and we're in Daniel this week, or last week. And, uh, man, that was... Uh, uh, God shut them up, right? <laughs> uh, no, you know. Yeah, exactly. The sacrifice of Abraham, the sacrifice of the potential sacrifice of Isaac. All of those are God-sized, God-sized tasks that only God could do. But the people were obedient in that. It says, "What is something God has asked you to do?" And you, you know, um, you could be probably more personal here. Um, you know. That, that has caused a crisis of belief in your life. For example, it might be to go on a mission trip, lead a Bible study, or speak in public. Uh, why would God ask you to do something that was so difficult? And, and I begin to reflect back on uh, things that God is asking me to do. And, and, and why, is he, why is He asking me to do something that seems so difficult? And I thought back and I thought, you know what? The reason is, is because He wants the world to see that only He can do it. Uh, it's not easy, but he wants, he wants His glory to be known through what He's asking us to do. So it may seem impossible, um, and you're like, what? I can't do this, but God will lead you and, and strengthen you, and then He will get the glory for it. I know, uh, you know, mission trips, people are very apprehensive about going on those. And, uh, you know, they're obedient. I know Angela has a story about that and how she was obedient when God... Um, called her to go to Nicaragua and, and um, how, you know, she really didn't feel like going at first, but then God, God uh, used her and, and spoke to her and, and uh, you know, was glorified in her going. And so you, you have all of those God-sized tasks that only He can do and that He will receive the glory. Um, the word crisis, I thought this was interesting, and I underlined this on page 134. When God is leading us in this crisis of belief, because we're going to have them. I'm, I'm looking for it in my own life. Um, I can sense a crisis of belief coming in, in my own life um, in, in certain things. And it says the word crisis comes from a Greek word, this is right under number two, that means decision or judgment. A crisis of belief is not, and I thought this was really good, when we're looking at what a crisis of belief is in our experience of God, a crisis of belief is not a calamity in your life, but a turning point. So it doesn't have to be a major calamity. But it's a turning point where I, I must make a decision. And in a situ it is a situation that forces me to decide what you truly believe about God. That, that's what a crisis of belief is. It's a decision to say, all right, this is, this is what we believe. We're going we're gonna to act on this. And I know Corey and Shane have a great story about a crisis of belief in moving from trustful here. And, and, and I was thinking of them this week. And you know you may want to elaborate that on that elaborate on that a little bit uh, more, but um, it took a it took a decision to say, all right, God, we're we're moving from Birmingham to a place that we've been 
for 10 to 12, almost 15 years, and we're picking up shop, and we're coming here. Don't know what you're going to do, but we trust that you're going to do that. And so that, that's what a crisis of belief is. It's a decision. It's not a calamity. It's a decision where God will get the glory. He just wants us to be obedient in that. Um, flipping over on page 135 at the very bottom, it says, You will never experience God as He wants you to if you and myself only attempt the things you can do. Let me reread that again. You will never experience God as He wants you to if you, if you only attempt things you can do. God wants the world to see Him working through you. That always required a step of faith, which results in the crisis of belief. Okay? And that, that's so important. God, God wants to be glorified. He wants to glorify Himself. And He wants the world to know who it is that's, uh, you know, working in you. And uh, that, that was an awesome statement that, uh, that I underlined there. Um, I defined number four on page 136. It says, in your own words, define crisis of belief. And I just simply put this. When God asks you to do something that seems impossible, and it's something only He can do. That's a great definition of a crisis of belief. When God asks you to do something that seems impossible, that seems out of the ordinary, it's something only He can do. A um, couple of passages there from Joshua. I uh, won't take time to read all of these, but um, you had different crises of beliefs there. Uh, Joshua 6, 1 through 5, you had the, the issue with Jericho, right? It was a crisis. Jericho was uh, a city there that was fortified, and we know what happened, right? God instructed uh, to march around it, Joshua to march around it, and the walls came gumbling down. And you know that was a crisis of belief for, for the Israelites there. Um, and God got the glory, right? God got the glory. Uh, in Judges, the Midianites surrounded Israel. But God instructed Gideon to use only 300 people to fight. Was that a crisis of belief for Gideon? Absolutely. Starting with tens of thousands, and God says, that's too many, that's too many, that's too many. And 300, 300 whipped the Midianites. And that's all God needed. That was a God-sized task, but God used them in that. First Chronicles, David faced the Philistines. Um, and, and in Matthew uh, 17, Jesus told Peter to go catch a fish with a coin, and he would find a coin in its mouth. You know Peter, he's probably like, really? This is what you're calling me to do here? Go catch a fish? Talking about, you know, uh, taxation, and, and, and that was a God-sized thing, and it happened. Um, and it says, have you or your church, number six, ever faced a crisis of belief when you sensed God wanted you to do something beyond what you could do? And, and, and we have. We faced many crises here. Um, I, you know, dad's not here and, and of course he's been here, um, for over 40, almost 45 years. And, and, and this church has experienced uh, a lot of great things and God glorifying things, but we have experienced crisis. I, I put, um, I put the tornado. I, I think that was a crisis. Um, that, that was a big crisis of belief. What are we going to do when your building is laying flat? Um, and I put, you know, we could have laid down and quit, but we didn't. And we move forward. And that was a crisis of belief. And did God do God-sized things during that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And only He gets the glory for it. And, and so we as a church have experienced that through the years. And there's other types of, of, of crisis of beliefs that we, that we faced. And it says, what did your response demonstrate? And I, let's use this with the, the tornado. 
What did your response demonstrate about your belief in God? Did it reveal faith or a lack of faith? You know, and I'm not going to lie to you. It was, it was, you know, it was challenging to see everything like it was. I mean, you know that. We don't have to go back and rehash all of that. But it was challenging. But I go back to Dad and, and, and the peace that God gave him and our leadership and, and how God worked in so many ways. And God strengthened my faith throughout the, the years there. And I know he did yours as well. And, and um, he ultimately gets the glory for it. Um, and, 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 of course, if you just read on down there, you can see all those situations where God is going to get the glory in everything. God's going to get the glory in these, in these crises of belief that he's leading his people to be obedient in. Uh, on page 137 there, it says the crisis of belief, those four things, says uh, underline a key word or phrase in each truth. Number one, an encounter with God requires faith. And I just underline encounter and faith. Uh, if there's an encounter with God, there's going to have to be faith. Uh, encounters with God are God-sized. They are God-sized. When we, when we have an encounter with God, they're going to be God-sized. What, what you do, number three, in response to God's revelation, reveals what you believe about God. And then true faith, number four, requires action. True faith requires action. Um, of course, it asks you to write the, the memory, memory verse there, Hebrews eleven six. 6. But uh, I'll just kind of get your, get your input on the, the ending here on page 137. What was the most meaningful, what was one of the most meaningful statements uh, or scriptures that you read throughout the week? Anybody, any, anything that kind of jumped out at you, anything that you underlined? Uh, mine was really short. Anybody, anybody would like to share? What would you say, Pam? All right, God rewards those who seek Him. God rewards those, and He wants us to seek Him. Carolyn, did you have something? The way you live your life is a testimony of what you believe about Him. Um, and, I, and I put what I started out, if God doesn't help me, I'm going to fail. <laughs> I mean, it's it. I can try to do things on my own, and I do, uh, and, and I failed, and God has not worked. And, and so if I do not, if God does not help me, if he's not in what he's leading me to do, um, then it, it's going to be a failure. Um, reward the, reword the statement of Scripture into a prayer of response to God. And I just simply put, Lord, if you are not guiding me in everything, it will come crashing down. It's going to come crashing down. If you're not in it, it may sound good. And it may really sound really good. It may, you know, even with, with church and you know, but if, if, if God is not in it and it's something that we want to do, it's, it's a problem. And that's where uh, careful attention is made to the Word and not getting in a hurry. I know a lot of times I get in a hurry and want things done and we live in a microwave society where we want it done now and we're going to do this and we're going to do that, but we don't wait and we don't wait for that affirmation from God and it, it will come crashing down. It will not work. It may seem like it'll work for a couple of weeks or months, but if, if God's not in it and if he's not leading in it, then it will come crashing down. Um, what does God want you to do in response to today's study? Did anybody, did anybody put something down where God said, I want you to do this in regards to this week? Mine was just having genuine faith in him and listening to what he is calling me to do. If it is God's size, then trusting him to do it. Um, 
the bottom paragraph there, the story about Angola prison, I don't know if you read that. That is, that is an awesome story um, about uh, the, the warden there, Burl Kane. Uh, Angola's pretty tough. I looked some things up uh, this week on that prison. And it, it, it is, uh, of course, it's where death row is for the state of Louisiana. But um, it, he became, Burl Kane became the warden there. And if you haven't read it, I'll just kind of briefly go over it. But uh, it was one of the largest and most violent prisons in America. 5,200 inmates with 3,700 serving life sentences. 88 men waited on death row. Murders and acts of violence occurred regularly. Uh, Burl, though, sensed God telling him to bring hope to the inmates. It seemed impossible. I mean, that, that's, that's an impossible task, um, to, to bring hope uh, to, to Angola Prison. Um, his workplace felt like the most hopeless place on earth. He eventually offered, and get this, he offered experiencing God to the inmates, offered it to them. And many were saved, and violence dropped 73%. Did you see that? 73%. Inmates felt called into the ministry, so a Bible college was established. Inmates began being sent out as missionaries to other maximum security prisons. God asked Cain to do the impossible, then God did the seemingly impossible through him. What a story. Uh, I actually went on a mission trip to Romania. Uh, I think Katie was with us the second time we went, but there was a guy there, his name was Carl Kerrigan, and he was a, um, he ministered at Angola. He would go into Angola, and he talked about how God was working. This has been, um, I guess, about, Oh, probably almost almost 20 years ago, maybe about 18, 19 when we went. And, and he talked about that prison and how God was, and this was right during the time that Mr. Kane was the, the warden and how he was allowing people to come in. And if I'm not mistaken, um, one of the, um, I guess you would call uh, things or hobbies that they do at Angola is they make, and I've read this and Carl um, shared this, but they make caskets, wooden caskets. Um, and Billy Graham, when Ruth Brooke Graham died, um, her casket was made by Angola prisoners. And when Billy Graham died, speaking of dad and mom heading to, to uh, Charlotte, his casket was made. They'd already picked it out. They'd already instructed uh, and, and actually interviewed the, the person who built it. Uh, but his casket had already been made by the prisoners at Angola. And so uh, that was his, that was his casting, uh, Billy Graham, was made there at Angola. And so you see God using a warden, right, to do something seemingly impossible, but how God is receiving the glory and all that. Who's getting the glory? It's God. And he ultimately, it's, it's him. He wants the glory. He deserves the glory. And he will get it. So I thought that was a really good story about uh, Mr. Kane there at Angola, how God used him in this, in this series to change the lives of so many people in an impossible task. People would say, that's impossible, right? I mean, that, and I would say that. That's impossible, but look what God did. And that's so, so awesome to think about. All right, session uh, day two, as we go along, encounters with God require faith, going back to that. Faith is the confidence there on page 138, top, of, top left, uh, that what God has promised or said will come to pass. And um, you, looked at, you looked at all these different scripture verses here. Um, it says, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. 
for the proof of what is not seen. And it asks, what is faith? Faith is hope for and what is not seen. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Are you currently, am I currently walking by faith or by sight? I think a lot of times we walk by sight. We're only seeing what we can see. Uh, we're not trusting in, in the bigger things. We can't see. God has that view where he sees all from beginning to end. He's got it all, he's got it all figured out. He's seeing everything. Uh, and, and we sometimes want to see it, or I do, and, and it's, it's easy to fall victim to that. Um, he mentions this, skipping on down. Jesus says, I tell you, if you have faith, this is letter E, the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. How much faith is required for God to do through you what is humanly impossible? How much? How much? Just a little small. I know Dad said last week he was going to try to get you a mustard seed. I don't know, and I thought about putting a picture up here. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. Um, it is really, 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 really small. I mean, you can see it. It's like a speck. almost looks like a piece of black pepper. Uh, and, and that's all God requires of us is that little faith to do something that's impossible. Um, it's so awesome to think about. A very small amount. Um, how should we base our faith? He mentions 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. On God's power or on what should we not base our faith on? Human wisdom. How many people today in our society, how many people in our world today are basing everything on wisdom, on them? You know, the mantra is, I'll be myself, I'll do me, I'll do, do you. you know, it's all about you. It's all about the individual. That's not what we base our faith on. We base, base it on, on Him, on Jesus. Faith is the confidence that what God promised or said will come to pass. Faith, uh, if you'll flip over to page 139, uh, top page there, faith was believing that the God who called us to the assignments was the one who would provide for their accomplishment. Faith must be in a person, and that's God himself. Before, this is at the, the bottom of that paragraph there, before you call yourself, your family, or your church to exercise faith, be sure you have heard a word from God. I, I underline that. Before you tell everybody, before you tell your family, your church, or exercise faith, make sure that you've heard it from God telling you to do it. That's important. Not what you want to do, but God telling and speaking through you. And it takes time a lot of times just to, to hone in on that. A uh, couple of things here. Uh, on page 139, it mentions... Uh, what is, what is something God wanted to do through Moses that only God could do? And we talked about leading his people out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea. What was something Jesus wanted to do through his disciples that only God could do? And that was heal people. And those are all God-sized tasks, and you see that all throughout Scripture. Page 140, if you'll flip over, when God calls a person to join him in a God-sized ta task, faith is always required. If a church, and I underline this as well on page 140, if a church is not walking by faith, God is not pleased with it either. That was, that was really, it really hit home to, to me. If a church is not walking by faith, God is not pleased with it either. So if, if you're not walking by faith, individually, if I'm not, God's not pleased with me, and collectively as a church, if we're not walking by faith, then God is not pleased with us either. Our major problem and this is so important here, our major problem is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. It's a major issue. Um, you see that in our world. You see that in our country. 
Um, it's all about us. We think, I can't do that. That is impossible. I can't do it. That's impossible. But that's us thinking. Um, flipping on page 141, talking about some things here. Um, when you encounter God, it will, be, it will bring a crisis of belief. That crisis will require faith. Without faith, you will not be able to please God. Um, it says, are you waiting, number six there, are you waiting for God to put everything in place before you step out in faith? That's, that's if so, is that still faith? So, you know, it's good to plan. It, it is, it's really good. But, you know, if you're waiting to have all the T's crossed and the I's dotted, a lot of times God is just saying, go. He's saying, he's saying, I'll take care of you. This is a God-sized task. I'm just wanting your obedience. And um, that's something that we all um, have faced with. I know I've, I've faced it as well. Number seven, I, I really... This really hit home to me through the week. It says, have you ever wanted to pray like the disciples when they asked the Lord, increase our faith? You ever prayed that? I've been praying that all week. Increase my faith. Increase my faith. Um, you know, I'm, pray, I put, I'm praying it now. I have so many things going on in my life that I can't understand. My, you know, life sometimes feels like a whirlwind, and, and my faith needs to increase. So I pray that, and I know you probably do every single day, God strengthen or increase my faith um what was something meaningful throughout that week uh what was something meaningful that you read or god spoke there page bottom of page 41 what was what was something that really jumped out at you in regards to uh what we looked at in regards uh, to faith um encounters with god requiring faith anybody Obedience indicates faithfulness. Is that what you said, Jennifer? Faith in God. Obedience indicates faith in God. And that's exactly right. And that's the thing, obedience. And that's what I'm praying for in a lot of things now is you know what to do, but you've got to act. The obedience part. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Did anybody re reword that in a prayer? I really like rewording this uh, in, in a prayer, what you, what you write down. I really like that. Did anybody re uh, reword that in, in a specific prayer? Brother Philip? And that's why we have to pray for that daily increase of faith. Always increasing. Um, yeah, I just put, Lord, if you're calling me to do something, um, you will provide for its accomplishment and you will help me. That's it. If you're calling me to do something, you will provide for the accomplishment and you will help me. And what does God want you to do in response to this week or today's study? Um, put all my faith and trust in Him. Quit worrying about everything. And just trust that he'll work. Just trust that he'll work. Um, so easy to get bogged down and worried about things. And just, just trust that he's going to work. Um, and that was, that was kind of the, what I, I put that day. So, so day two there, uh, focus in on encounters with God requiring faith. 
Day three, encounters with God are God-sized. God-sized. So this gets into the God-sized t- uh, task that we spoke to, spoke about a while ago. Um, it says, second paragraph there, it says, or some people say, God would never ask me to do something that's impossible. On the contrary, if the assignment I sense God is giving me is something I know I can handle on my own, I assume it probably is not from God. Let me reread that. Okay? Some people say, God would never ask me to do something that's impossible. On the contrary, if the assignment I sense God has given me is something that I can handle on my own, I assume it probably is not from God. If you can handle it, why need God, right? Well, that, that's, that's, that's what he's pointing at here. It, it's something that, like, God, this is, this is only something that you can do. The assignments God gave in the Bible were God-sized. They were always beyond what people could do in their strength because he wanted to demonstrate his nature, his strength, his provision, and his love to his people and to a watching world. He just wanted people to see, hey, I am God Almighty. I am Yahweh. I am the one. I am the all-powerful. You know, if it's something you can do, then I, he's not going to receive the glory for it. I mean, he's just not. Um, and we mentioned these a while ago from memory, some assignments God, either the Father or, or Jesus, gave to people in the Bible. And Philip, uh, Brother Terry mentioned the, uh, the ark and the building of the temple and the, the taking of Jericho and the feeding of 5,000, all of those. When people see something happen that only God can do, they come to know God. Uh, let me reread that. It's at the bottom there, right above number two. When people see something happen that only God can do, they come to know God. They want to know. They want to know. Okay? Um, mentions there with Moses and Joshua and King Jehoshaphat, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Love that story. Read that last week. I think it was last week. Yeah, this past, this past week I was in Daniel, I told you that. And, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego chose to obey God rather than King Nebuchadnezzar before being thrown into a blazing furnace. They said, if, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and from the power of you. The soldiers holding them captive died, but God delivered these three faithful men. King Nebuchadnezzar said praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach. Now look, 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 look at what happened here. God-sized task. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. Only God can deliver them. But look what God does. And this go, just circles back to him receiving the glory and everything. He says this. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar said praise to the God. And this is a pagan king, right? This is a pagan king. Praise be to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants. Therefore, I issue a decree that any one of my people, any one of any people, nation, or language who says something offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver this. Listen to this. This pagan king wrote to the entire nation, I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. This is a pagan king giving praise and adoration to God. Did God use Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Was, was it all about them? No, it never is. It's about him. It's about him. And this pagan king seeing what God can do. And that's so awesome. Brother Philip. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and you go back, and a lot of people miss this. If you go back and read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Manigo, and I don't have it, um, I guess I could turn to it real quick. Yeah, turn, turn to this, because you may have never seen this before, and, and I remember hearing about this. Look, look at, uh, if you want to flip to Daniel, because this is, this is awesome when you think about it. Flip over there, and, and I want you to look. I'm not going to take time to read everything here, so... Okay, yeah, let's look at, at Daniel 3, verse, uh, let's start at, at 16. And this is important to see the faith of these guys and, and what they said. And you may have missed this. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, verse 16, Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. So he's going to throw them into the furnace, replied to the king. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. He's talking about, you know, you're going to fall down and worship me, all this kind of stuff. If, if the God, we don't miss this, if the God we serve exists, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Now look at verse 18. But even if he does not rescue us, you know, they don't know. But they're like, if he does, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. It says, even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. So even if you do, God's going to, it's a win-win for, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's going to save us. Yeah, he's going to deliver us. If he doesn't, he's still going to win because we'll be delivered anyway. And that's so important. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. It'd be tough. It, it would be hard. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, and it was for those guys. But they're like, if he does, he does. I mean, you're looking at it and. You know, they seem so calm. I don't know. I guess they were. God gave them grace there. But if he does, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And then that's so awesome when you think about it. Good stuff. Um, page 143 at the bottom there, it says, um, and this is really good. Our world is not being attracted to the Christ we serve because they are not seeing him at work in our lives. Did you, get, did you catch that? Our world is not being attracted to the Christ we serve because they are not seeing him at work in our lives. And I drew a line out and it says, wow, exclamation point. I mean, why is that? Because we're too much like the world. And they're not seeing a difference. And, you know, talked about it this morning in Sunday school class. B did a great job in our Sunday school class talking about Nehemiah. And you, you might have, I don't know, I guess everybody's on that lesson, but it, it was uh, the people consecrating themselves and being set apart, you know. And they were, they were you know, they, the longest prayer ever recorded in Scripture, and they were talking about, you know, um, God leading them out. I mean, it was a basically rehash of the story of the Israelites and, and, and God leading them, and then, and then the people turning and, and the golden calf and all that kind of stuff. And, 
And they're like, we don't want to do this anymore. Of course they did, but they consecrated themselves, though. They said, we want to be different. We want, you know, the world to see us as different. And that's so important because, you know, the world is looking at the church. He's looking at us, Deb. Yeah, it's a casting crowns. Yeah, if we are the body. Yeah, yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, yeah, uh, casting crown song. Yeah, it talks about that um, because we are we're the hands we're the hands and feet, right? And if we're just like the world, then there's no difference, uh, and people are going to go somewhere else. They're not going to be a part of that. We've and that that's something that I'm you know every day. You know, being set apart, holy. I mean, we're perfect, we're not, but we're to be set apart. We're to be different in our speech, in our actions. Um, and that's, I know that's very difficult because of, of how we interact with people, but, but still, we're, we're, we're to be different. Um, and, and people will see God at work when we are. Um, we are not giving them opportunities to encounter God. They are only seeing only us. When the world sees God at work, He will attract people to Himself on page 144. Our responsibility is to lift Christ up, not in words, but in our life. Let people see the difference the living Christ makes in a life, a family or a church that will affect how they respond to the gospel. When the world sees things happening through God's people, that cannot be explained except that God Himself has done them. The world will be drawn to such a God. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's just, and that's great, and that's exactly right, Brother Philip. It's just like this morning, the, the quote from Dad, and I wrote it down. Um, when the outlook is bleak, the uplook, the uplook is glorious. You know, and things seem bleak in a lot of cases, and you're thinking, why, why, why? But looking to Him, that's the glorious thing. And leading us through those situations that we face. And it's just wanting us to trust Him. Um, and, and wanting the world to look at us and see something that's different. Um, it says um, there, um, let's see, uh, letter G there, and then we'll move on and finish up. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's move on down to the very bottom of 144. God is for, God, very bottom uh, paragraph there. God is far more concerned with your walking with him than he is interested in getting a, getting a job done for him. And I circled that one too. Um, that's so important. God is more, in, more concerned with myself walking with him then he's interested in me doing a job for him god doesn't need me okay god is god god's so gracious though that he does allow me to work and to and to uh, glorify his name but uh no god doesn't need kyle taylor to accomplish his his purpose um god's working uh, if i'm obedient 
you know, God will, will work in my life, but, but God's God. He's just wanting me to have a relationship with Him, uh, a daily relationship with Him. You and the world knowing Him and experiencing Him. That's so important. Um, bottom of page 45, and we're almost finished here. Um, God is, is the most meaningful thing that really spoke to me that, this week or that day. God is far more concerned with your walking with him than he's interested in getting a job done. I just, that was one of the statements that I read. And um, it says, I don't want the, wor- the, the world uh, to see me. I want them to see you working to do the impossible through me. And that involves stepping out in faith and obedience there. Um, moving on, finishing up here. Um, let's look at... Um, Let's look at, at, at section five, the last section here, the last day. We'll skip four there. Uh, I'm going to finish up so that the video, uh, Dr. Blackerby, will touch on day four there a little bit more. But uh, truth, true faith requires action. And this is kind of uh, finishing up. We talked about that. And uh, it, it mentioned Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? And it asks you to, uh, it says on the, the following list on the left includes people commended for their faith. Uh, the verses of the chapter are in parentheses beside the name. Match the person on the left with the action on the right that demonstrated their faith. Um, some of the names will have more than one letter, but you got, of course, Abel. Um, well, we got, what did he do? Abel. Yeah. Uh, you got number two, Enoch. Please God by earnestly seeking him, you know. Um, Noah, mentioned that a while ago, built an ark to save his family. Abraham made his home in a foreign country. I mean, Katie and I were talking about that you know, yesterday. You know, he, didn't even, he didn't even know where he was going. God told him to go. He didn't even know. He picked up everything and he left. And, and God, I mean, that's action. <laughs> that's action. Uh, Joseph, I thought that was interesting. Joseph, uh, letter G there, gave instructions to bury his bones in the promised land. You think, you think Joseph knew? You think Joseph knew that the people would be delivered out? He did. So he gave specific instructions, and that's what they did. They carried his bones out. Thought that was, I thought that was interesting about how he, he said, I want my bones to be carried out. He knew uh, before they even made it out of Egypt that they were going. That's true faith. Um, Moses uh, left Egypt. The Israelites uh, passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then, of course, uh, Rahab uh, exhibited faith there, welcoming and hidden, hiding the Israelite spies. Um, based on Hebrews 11, write out what a life of faith looks like. Did anybody write out a sentence? I wrote one out, but I'll let you to share. Write out what a life of faith looks like. What does a life of faith look like to you? You write a sentence down for that. That's good, Jennifer. That kind of goes along with mine. Trusting, you mentioned circumstances there, no matter the circumstances. Trusting God in all things, no matter how impossible it seems in the moment. No matter how impossible it seems. Um... Going back to Hebrews 11 and, and reading about the Hall of Fame of Faith and what, you know, it, it says, uh, based on your own criteria, list the good outcomes of a faithful life on the left and the bad outcomes on the, on the right. 
I've listed two to get you started. And so, you know, you, you read Hebrews 11 and, and people had faith and you saw good outcomes. But then, is it always going to be good? No. I mean, people were sawed in half for their faith. Is that a good outcome? Well, to us on the surface, that seems not good. Okay? But it is a good outcome because they were faithful. And the moment that they were sawed in half, they met Jesus. Right? But you see, the good outcomes, the routing of enemies, the conquering of kingdoms, the, up, the, obtain, the obtaining of promises, the shutting the mouth of lions, the escaping the sword. But then you look over to the bad outcomes. What did faith get a lot of people? Stoned to death, right? Sawed in two, tempted, destitute, wandering in deserts, living in holes in the ground. I think of our brothers and sisters who, who are right now. Two weeks from today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And, and we're going to try to focus on, we'll have a display set out. Many of you read the Voice of the Martyrs. If you don't, I, I really encourage you to sign up for that free uh, magazine that comes out. We'll have that on, on that Sunday. But I think of our brothers and sisters right now who are being killed because of their faith. But you know what? That's all they have. That's all they have. Uh, you, you listen to, to people and, and they're like so excited because their faith is all they have. They have nothing. They're destitute. Many of them, you know, in, in, I think it's in India, maybe India or Pakistan, I can't remember. They're given some of the worst jobs ever for being a Christian. Cleaning out sewers. Being a brick, a brick mason. Worst jobs ever. But they're so happy because of their faith. Because Jesus is all they got. And, you know, you, you see that and you think, you think man, you know, sawed in half and tortured. Man, what's good about that? Well, God gets the glory in it. And that's so important. Um, looking at, at page 151, I love this. And I, I think I even made a picture of it with my phone, but I underlined it. All these, you know... Verse 35 through, 33 through 35 describe the victory and deliverance some people of faith experience. Verse 35 through 38 describe the torture, the mockery, and death other people of faith endured. Were some more faithful than others? Were, were those people that experienced good, good outcomes, were they more, more faithful than the bad outcome folks? No. Okay? They were not more, I mean, they were not more or less. They had the same faith. They just experienced different outcomes. And I, and I like this, and you can see it. All these were approved for their faith. Look at this. I guess it's Dr. Blackaby said, They decided a well done from their master was more important than life itself. Now think about that. And I thought about that with myself. Is a well done from Jesus more important than our life right now? 70, 75, 80 years max, you know, average. Is that more important than a well done from Jesus when you meet him face to face? That's a, that, that really, really spoke out to me. That's what the people being sawn in half, people right now being killed, they're wanting a well done more than they could care anything about this life. And that's so, man, it's, it's, outward appearances of success do not always indicate faith, and appearances of failure do not always reflect a lack of faith. 
A faithful servant is one who does what his master tells him, whatever the outcome will be. Whatever it will be. Whatever it's going to be. Finishing up, page 152. It says, reflect on ways, uh, reflect on what causes you to lack faith, that God can do through you what he says. Some issues might be this. You have a lack of faith in your finances. Lack of faith in education. Lack of faith in your skill. God can't use me. I don't have the skill. God can't use me. I don't have the education. God can't use me. I don't have my finances. I don't have finances. Lack of confidence. Lack of support from others. If one or more of these are preventing you from trusting God, pray and ask Him to set you free from anything hindering you from doing God's will. Just pray. And He will. Summary statements there, and we'll close. It says, Faith without action is dead. Genuine faith is demonstrated by action. God has planned something far better for people of faith. Don't grow weary in being faithful. A reward awaits for faithful servants. And I wrote that same quote, and, and um, it says, what's the most meaningful thing? They decided that a well done from the master was more important than life itself. Did anybody else mention something there that really spoke out to you that, that, that day? Seeing the, serving the Lord, serving you, Lord, this was my prayer Completely here on earth is more important than anything I will gain here on this earth. I'll read you this from the Sunday school lesson today. I, uh, this was in our Sunday school lesson, and let me pull it up here if I can find it. I really like this, and I highlighted it in my lesson. Um, let me find it. Here we go. And we, you know, we were talking about Nehemiah and the people being different and the people consecrating themselves, being different from the world. But, um, yeah, here it is. And this was, I guess, Dr. Vines and his commentary here. But he says this, speaking of, speaking of um, people being different and people being intentional and for, for the world to see something different from us, this is what Dr. Vines wrote, and I highlighted it. He said, years ago, the great black preacher E.V. Hill told about how his church had claimed every block in the Watts area of Los Angeles where his church was located for the Lord. His goal was to get some member of his church to move into every block so the church would have a witness for Jesus throughout the neighborhood. It's an impossible task, right? People to come in, move on every block in L.A. Many of his members willingly moved and became witnesses on their streets. And this is what I highlighted. They were intentional in their service for the Lord. Wherever we live and work, we ought to look on that place as our mission field. Consecration means we are willing to pay a price. It means we are willing to give up material enjoyments to let our life really count for Jesus. We need to realize our lives are passing by quickly. We must make them count for the Lord Jesus Christ. Make them count. Is your life, is my life counting? In our daily interactions with people, in, in, the, in the jobs that we're in, or the retirement that we're in. You don't have to work a job to encounter people. 
You can go to Walmart. <laughs> you can go to the Piggly Wiggly. You can see people. So is, is my, and that's what I ask myself, is my life counting? Or am I just passing them by? You know, the guys at Walmart last night, I just passed them by. I did. Guys like, you should have talked to them. Probably never see those guys again. So, you know, making your life count, doing those things that seem impossible, okay? Those people there in L.A., their lives counted because God's, God got the glory. So, finally here, what does God want you to do in response to today's say? Serve Him faithfully here, not getting wrapped up on what this world has to offer. And that's so, so easily done, just getting wrapped up in it. So what I want to do is, is close with a video segment here, and, and Dr. Blackaby and his son, uh, Mike, will finish up. And so after this, we'll be finished, but um, let's go ahead and start the video. You've got some um, places there to write, to note there, but let's, let's finish this up on the crisis of belief. Here on a ferry, we left the, the peace of the park, chose to get on this ride to go to where all the action is in the big city. Actually reminds me of another ride I took a long time ago. When I was four years old, my family went to Disneyland and uh, never been there before. And uh, my dad was so excited to take his son to all these places that he had remembered going as a child. Uh, the problem was I was only four. And uh, by the end of the day, my father was sick of all the boring kiddie rides. And he really wanted to take his son on something a little more exciting. There was just one problem, mom. <laughs> mom was not gonna let her little boy go on anything scary. So dad hatched a plan. And he, uh, he found a nice cafe and, uh, and took my mom there and said, why don't you uh, stay here and put your feet up? It's been a long day. Uh, you rest and I'll take Mike on a few other little rides and then we'll come back and get you and we'll finish the day. And mom fell for it. And so she was relaxing there and dad grabbed my hand and rushed me off to another part of the park that we had not been to before. Uh, and as we go walking, he takes me to the classic ride, Space Mountain. And we go there, uh, there's a long line. There was always a long line at Space Mountain, mostly because it kept breaking down. And so we go in there and we start to get in line and, uh, and dad's excited to, for his son to have this experience. But the closer we get to the loading zone, the more dad starts to remember just how scary this roller coaster is. And so we start winding through the line and, and we can hear the, the rushing of the, of the ride up, up front. And he gets down and, uh, to try and ease my nerves a little bit. And Mikey, don't worry, it's not as scary as it sounds. Uh, we get a little bit closer, we start uh, seeing people get on the ride and it rushes around the corner into the darkness and he sees I'm getting even more nervous. He says, Mikey, don't worry, it's not as scary as it looks. 
Well, then they strap us in, one in front of the other. Uh, and this, I feel this big hand on my shoulder that says, Mikey, it's okay. If we make it through this, I'll get you whatever you want. I'll buy you a pony. We can do this. And then it turned the corner into the darkness, uh, twisting and turning, the speed, uh, the screaming. And when we finally came to the end of the ride, uh, they let us off. And my dad quickly checked me to make sure I was all okay. And uh, says, Mikey... Uh, and, and at that point, I, I'm, re I'm ready to hear it. Like, I'm thinking he's going to say those words that every son longs to hear from their father. Like, when you started this journey, you were a boy, but now you're a man. I'm like, here it comes. He says, Mike, whatever you do, don't tell your mother. <laughs> well, uh, he didn't have to tell her because she saw just how white I was with fear, and she knew exactly what had happened. You know, eventually, when we got to that loading zone, I saw a bunch of other people ride that ride. I heard people talking about it, uh, but I had to choose if I was going to get on that ride or not. And the decision I would make to leave the loading zone and get on the ride was gonna reveal some things about what I believed. One of those things being, do I trust that my father loves me and wants me to have this experience? And it was scary. And oftentimes uh, those things that require trust are scary, but at the end of the ride, uh, I actually developed a love of roller coasters that has stayed with me ever since. Now, it doesn't mean it's not scary, but I developed a love that can only happen through experience, not observation. When God invites us to join him in his activity, it can be terrifying. Why? Because it's God-sized. What does that mean? It just means that God's going to lead us out of our comfort zone to do things we would never naturally do. Things that mean we have to trust him. We have to trust that he loves us. We have to trust where he leads us. And that will lead us to a crisis of belief. It's a crisis because it shakes us up and it sets us up to make a decision. And that decision to leave the loading zone and get on the ride is going to reveal what we really believe about God. You see, belief is something that is invisible. It's a subjective experience inside of your own mind. But what we do gives outward expression of what we really believe. As James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, my faith will be evidenced by the things that I do. All throughout the Bible, we see God inviting people into his activity, bringing them to a crisis of belief moment where they have to decide, what will I do? Will I leave the loading zone and actually get on the ride? And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who never do leave that loading zone. I think of the rich young ruler that Jesus invited to follow him uh, and asked him to do some things, to make some decisions in order to follow, and the rich young ruler never does. For him, Jesus was just a teacher. But I also think of someone like Peter, who Jesus asked to follow, and Peter did. Left a lot of things behind, followed Jesus, and throughout Jesus' ministry, Peter faces all sorts of these crises of belief. And every time he does, he's got to decide to step out of that loading zone and continue getting on this ride that Jesus has him on. And he makes some mistakes along the way, but you know, at the end of that experience, Peter's a completely different person than he was before. You see Peter experiencing and observing miracles before, 
But then eventually you see Peter actually living miracles, performing miracles. He sees the power of God and experiences God in ways that he would have never experienced had he not chosen to follow. So the crisis of belief he faced led him to follow Jesus and experience God in ways he could have never experienced otherwise. God uses these moments in our lives to grow our faith. And I remember when my wife and I felt God calling us uh, to leave our church in Atlanta, Georgia, to move to the west coast of Canada, to Vancouver Island, to plant a church. And we had to decide, are we going to leave the comfort of what we have right here to trust him, uh, get on the ride, and go into what was largely unknown? And one of the big unknowns for us was, where are we going to live when we get there? Well, eventually we, we moved to Vancouver Island uh, and we don't have a place to live. We're staying temporarily somewhere. It's a crazy housing market. And so my wife spent hours every day looking at every available place to live and we couldn't find anything in the area where we felt called to plant a church. She looks and looks and eventually we know that our shipment, our household shipment is gonna show up and we need a place to tell them to put it. And so there's nothing. Well, in a moment of discouragement, after about a month has passed of, of no luck and our household shipment is coming, they keep rerouting it to buy us more time, but eventually they tell us, on February the 2nd, your shipment is coming into town and we need an address of where to drop it off. And so my wife is getting discouraged. She's looked at everything and in her discouragement, she just shuts the laptop and prays and says, God, we believe that you've called us to this place. And so we're trusting that you're going to provide because our household shipment is coming in just a couple weeks and we've got nowhere to live. Uh, well, after she's done praying, she just gets this sense that God is telling her, look one more time. And so she opens up her laptop refreshes the page that she was already on and she sees that there's a listing for a house that was listed just a few minutes earlier while she was praying and it's perfect it's everything that we've been praying for that that we hadn't seen in any other place that we had looked and so she submits our application uh, but a bunch of other people apply as well and and then it's a waiting game uh, they are going to get to choose who they give this house to and i remember when we got that call and they told us that they had chosen us to give us that house. And we asked them, why us? You could have chosen anybody. Uh, we had gone to visit the place and see it. And, and the property manager just said, you were the first ones in line. You were the first ones to send in your application. But also, I just felt like you guys needed to have this house. We asked, that's, said, that's great. When can we move in? He said, you can get the key on February the 1st and you can move in February the 2nd. So we got the key to our house about 12 hours before the moving truck showed up into town. And we used that place to have dozens and dozens of people over as we sought to uh, reach that community. Well, three years later, uh, the property manager pulled the rug out from under our feet, informed us we had two months to find somewhere else to live. And again, we faced a crisis of belief. Did we trust that God would provide? And he did, and he did an even more amazing miracle, but that's a story for another time. And so what crisis of belief are you facing right now? You know, our faith grows on the other side of obedience. 
We all want to see miracles. We all want to experience miracles. We just don't want to be put in situations where miracles are needed and necessary. But that's where our faith grows. And so what crisis of belief does God have out in front of you? Are you ready to leave the loading zone and get on the ride? Because at the end of that experience, you'll find that you have experienced God in ways you never had before. So why would God lead us into something that we would consider a crisis? I mean, why not just make life smooth sailing ahead? Why does God bring us to these places that, uh, that are, are hard, are difficult, uh, that make us stop and, uh, and have to make these big decisions? Well, that's a great question. A lot of people struggle with that word crisis because we don't think of it as a good thing at all. And why would God bring a bad thing into our life? But as my dad explained originally in Experiencing God, a crisis is a decision. It's a moment where you decide something about God. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is when you have a crisis of belief, when, when God speaks and then you have a crisis, that reflects several things. For one, it indicates you don't know God as well as you ought to. I'll tell you this, in heaven, no one has a crisis of belief. Because then you see God as he is. And anything he says, you look at God and say, he can do that. Easy. But in this life, we don't know God that well. So when God tells us to do something, we start doubting. Well, what if God doesn't provide? What if God doesn't uh, protect me? What if God doesn't guide me? The other thing is, sometimes it reflects the fact that we, we think perhaps too much of ourselves. When God says, I want you to do this, we start thinking about our strengths and our weaknesses and our abilities. And we think, well, I can't do that because of me. And our focus is too much on us, not enough on him. And so when I have a crisis of belief, that usually is an alar alarm to me to say, do I even have my perspective right on God and perhaps not too much on me? And you know, I, I find too, just with, with a crisis of belief, what it means is God's stretching us. He's taking us, he, he wants to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Yeah, and sometimes I know for myself, uh, I often think, man, I wish God would just give me the faith I need to, to make this decision an easy one. And sometimes it's not an easy one. Yeah. And, uh, and what I found is sometimes God asks for our obedience first. And after we obey, then we see the miracle. Like on the Red Sea, uh, God tells the Israelites to move forward. And then they see this incredible miracle. And then on the other side, their faith has grown. And the faith that we ask for on this side of the sea, he often gives us on the other side of the sea, on the other side of our obedience. And so to go through that, to come to those crises moments, uh, it's growing us. And so we don't have the view of God we need yet. And he's going to get us there, but it's going to be on the other side of our obedience. You know, I... In the Bible, in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the reason we have a crisis of belief is sometimes our faith just isn't great enough. And so what God's going to do is uh, he's going to move us to a place where we, we, our faith is greater, where we are able to trust him for something bigger than we ever have before. And uh, it's kind of like spiritual growth pains. Uh, growing pains. We, in, in real life, when you have growing pains, it means you're, you're growing, you're getting bigger, you're getting stronger. And I think sometimes spiritually, as we're growing and becoming stronger in our faith, those crises of belief are the pain we experience as we go from where we were to where God wants us to be. I remember when I was a seminary president, uh, I would always correspond with, with people that were considering being students with us. And we had a school in Canada 
And now and then we'd have people in the United States looking to come up to Canada to study with us, but there were lots of challenges with that. You couldn't just work in any job if you were an American. You had to leave family. You, you often were bringing people's grandkids with you. Uh, and there was just all kinds of financial questions and uncertainty. And I remember one year, there were two different students. Both had three children. Both lived in the United States. Both were gonna have to say goodbye to their parents uh, and find schools for their kids, find finances. And I kept, they, they both kept asking the same questions. I kept answering them the same way and just saying, listen, I, I can't make any promises. I just can tell you every student who has trusted God and come, God's always provided. And uh, both of them were, well, how often can we get jobs? Will there be housing? What are the schools like? And so on. I kept trying to say, you're just gonna have to trust God that if he calls you, he will provide for you. Ultimately, one of those students came. They packed up and they moved. And the other just couldn't do it. They just, they, the crisis was too much for them. They said, maybe later, it doesn't seem like a good time to do what God's saying. The family that came, about every other week, they were coming in my office and telling me another God story. You won't believe what happened with my parents. When we stepped out in faith, God did a work in their life, and now they're walking closer to God than ever because of our obedience. And, and then out of the blue, we got this check from an aunt they just wanted to support us. And we got there and the kids love their school and they've got a special program for my one child who needs extra help. And, and then this job came and this opportunity to minister came. And I would listen to the one student excitedly telling me all the things God was doing in their life. And I couldn't help but think, wow, just imagine what the other student is missing out on because he didn't come. And I think we have to just realize in a crisis of belief that uh, as, as Terrifying as it might be sometimes to take that step of faith, we have to always consider, but what will it cost me if I don't take that step? What will I miss out on if I'm too afraid, I become immobilized and I stay where I am? It's always worse to stay where you are than to go with God. And that last statement he made is meaningful. It's always worse to stay with you where you are than to go with God. And so uh, I, I pray for you this week. Pray for me that our faith be strengthened every day. Um, and I'll be definitely praying for you guys and, as we walk through this. And, and it's going to be exciting to see what God's going to do uh, in these next few weeks and months as, as he's leading us uh, to experience him.